welcome back to another amazing episode of the Travel Podcast, where we aim to inspire you with ideas to help you travel the world, both virtually and physically this year. Today is no different. And as part of our ongoing celebrations of the Travel Podcast, we're continuing to look at Florida. And today it's all about food. And who knew Florida was one of the culinary hotspots of the world? I certainly didn't before recording this. And uh, I can guarantee today it will leave your taste buds watering as we catch up with some of the top restaurateurs and chefs of Florida. Matthew and I catch up with various guests to learn about the different regions and the food you can expect and why food is so important when looking to travel all around Florida. So Matthew catches up with Nicole and Greg from Pensacola, Northwest Florida, and learns all about the different regions and how the food is so important. He then talks to Nick and Roberto, um, who own a number of different restaurants, including the Argentinian-style barbecue grill in St. Augustine, and all the different restaurants you can expect to find there, and how important food is to the local economy and the tourism uh, within the area. And honestly, the food sounds so amazing uh, with these guys, so do check that interview out. And I catch up with Richard honestly called the godfather of Tampa Bay, Florida, owns Florida's oldest restaurants, including 8,000 square foot kitchen. Sounds unbelievable, but you are going to want to visit this restaurant when you hear about it. So have a listen to this episode. It's going to leave you hungry and wanting to get on a plane to Florida as soon as possible. So check it out. You're going to enjoy it. I'm joined by Nicole from Visit Pensacola and Greg, the chef at Grand Marlin Pensacola, who are going to be giving us an insight into the culinary scene of Pensacola, Florida. So before we get started, um, Nicole and Greg, could you just let the listeners know, how long have you been in Pensacola for? So Greg, if I could start with yourself. Uh, I've been in Pensacola now coming up on 11 years this fall. I actually moved from Atlanta, Georgia down here to open the restaurant. And yourself, Nicole? Yeah, so I'm Nicole Stacy. I'm the director of marketing and communications for Visit Pensacola. Um, I am a born and raised Floridian. I grew up down the panhandle and went to actually college here at the University of West Florida. So I grad school, undergrad, um, moved away for a little bit. And so I came back to Pensacola and have been talking about this destination ever since. So two very, very knowledgeable people on one, the food scene, but also the destination Pensacola itself. So before we get started in and we're going into the food scene, which Greg, you'll be um, answering a lot of questions there. Um, Nicole, could you just, for our listeners who may not know where Pensacola, Florida is, may not have heard of it, could you just give us a quick overview of what people can expect when they come and visit Pensacola? Sure. So Pensacola is located in Northwest Florida. We often refer to ourselves as the Western Gate to the Sunshine State. Um, and we have beautiful beaches, but what's special about Pensacola is we also have, also have a dynamic and vibrant downtown scene. Um, we are the home to the Blue Angels, so we do have the Naval Aviation Museum and base here in Pensacola, Florida. And we really have just got this great uh, metropolitan city, if you will, with a small town vibe. 
vibe. Um, so we've got your beach scene, we've got your downtown, we have history. Uh, Pensacola was America's oldest settlement established in 1559. And so there's really just a lot to do. Our slogan is usually the beach is just the beginning because you truly can come to Pensacola and experience so much more than just a beach destination. But if a beach destination is all you're looking for, it's the perfect place to do that as well. I can certainly testify on how beautiful Pensacola is. I've spent a few weeks up there and it is absolutely stunning. So if anyone hasn't been, you do need to get yourself to the panhandle of Florida. And one thing that I really enjoyed uh, and is also one of my favorite topics is food. And that's why we're very fortunate to have you on today, Greg. And for the listeners who want to visit Pensacola, what can they expect in the food scene? It's obviously got amazing beaches. What can they expect from the food? Yeah, well, you know, with that, you know, the amazing beaches, we're, we're situated on the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, so obviously, uh, one of our, our largest, you know, food food items is, is seafood, uh, grouper, snapper, uh, trigger fish, uh, pile fish, uh, crab is, and, and oysters are, are, are some of the driving forces of the food scene here. But I will tell you that uh, in my 10 years here in Pensacola, the food scene has exploded. Um, we started out as a sleepy little town. Um, you know, when they told me Pensacola, Florida, I, I didn't even know where I was. And when I saw it on a map, I was like, oh, water, food, uh, seafood. You know, I can I can really work with this. And, um, you know, we got here and everybody just, you know, I'm not saying that we're responsible, but, you know, it was just at the right time where there was small boutique restaurants opening, breweries. Um, so now there's all kinds of great, great little spots up and down Halifax uh, Street. And, and the whole area has just kind of really blossomed. And so, you know, seafood is what we at here at the Grand Marlin, we really base our, our, our menus around and it's fresh, it's seasonal. And, um, you know, so we play with whatever's, whatever's in season at the time. And, and on that, you say there's a lot of seafood involved, the Grand Marlin, obviously big seafood area. When I was there as well, I noticed it was a big Southern influence on the cuisine. How is, how do you think that has reflected within the, the restaurants? Well, you know, for, for, for me personally, you know, uh, again, I kind of looked at the map and, and, you know, we're kind of island themed, uh, our restaurant, um, you know, um, Pensacola beaches is a barrier island. And, you know, so I kind of, you know, saw that Jimmy Buffett kind of vibe way back when and kind of mixed it with New Orleans. So I kind of looked at a map and the two kind of intersect, you know, on parallels almost. And uh, so I kind of really developed my menus with a little bit of New Orleans influence and a little bit of island influence. And it's really worked out very well for us. And I mean, to be fair, you mentioned earlier about you got there at the right time so you can't take all the credit I mean you should take quite some credit I think uh, for, for helping yeah. helping the scene boom um, and something that I noticed as, as well is the food is very fresh and there was a lot of restaurants using almost like well we are you know, farm to table or catch to cook opportunities yes. um, is that something that a lot of the restaurants within the community and yourselves try and do to bring the local um, invite well the local cuisine together yeah uh, you know we we're, we're we're a pretty high volume restaurant, so we 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 don't really get into the the catch to table as far as bringing in you know your catch of the day and having us prepare it because we're we're, we're kind of busy. But one of the things that that I did and I was involved in Atlanta quite a bit with was organic uh, produce and and farm to table up there. And when I got here, the first thing I did was I searched for farmers, local farmers, and it started off with uh, one gentleman down the road who, who 
you know, supplied us with, um, you know, various products, but we were the only one using them. So he'd show up at my doorstep with, you know, 50 pounds of radishes. And there's only, <laughs> only so much you can do with that. But now, uh, you know, we have Floribama Farms, which is one of the um, uh, uh, produce companies in the area that goes out and searches, searches all local produce throughout the area. And it's really now it's, it comes to our doorstep rather than, uh, you know, us having to go out and search for it. So it's it's uh, that area alone is, is kind of, you know, one of the areas that I, I love. I love farm to table. Um, you know, I, I think people really want to know where their food is from. Uh, they want to, you know, they want to know that it's, you know, grown organically, you know, I can't say everything that we do is organic, but, you know, we, we really try and take advantage of that whenever possible. And then, of course, our seafood, you know, if it's if it's not local, then, you know, um, we only deal with so much that's not local. We really try and make sure that we're buying right, right from the Gulf of Mexico. So it sounds like there's a big community within all the restaurants and the local produce to try and keep it all very local and fresh. Perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. And um, just moving on to the Grand Maya is a wonderful seafood restaurant and if you're going to pick your three favorite places to go for food and drink when you're not working so in your own personal time you like to go out and, and venture what would be your three favorite places to start so i'll start with you nicole oh, me. Mom's oh good okay. pressure's off of me good yeah. Yeah. <laughs> obviously the grand Carlin is one of my favorite places to her. dine her to say um and to drink they've got a great bar with a beautiful beautiful background if i'm spending my time downtown on the Fox. I love to go to Jackson's, which is another great restaurant with a lot of history. And that chef there puts a lot of love and passion into his community, but also into his menu. Um, for drinks, big fan of the Perfect Plain and Garden and Grain. Again, locally owned, locally sourced. They brew their own beer. Um, and they also come up with some of the craziest cocktails I think I've ever uh, experienced or heard of. Um, so a lot of local love. And I think to add to the questions before, the fun and unique thing about Pensacola is there's just not a lot of chain restaurants. So on Pensacola Beach, you don't have any chain restaurants. And um, without, within Pensacola and Escambia County, you don't really have a ton of them. You've got your few. You've got those chain restaurants that everyone has to have. But really, our chefs here in this community, they've either grown up here or they moved here for their love of food, their love of the water, and their love of seafood. And I think that really is a testament to what a visitor will experience when they're here and they're interacting with these people is, the hospitality is unlike any other, and it really starts with the plate of food they put in front of you. I can testify, and I actually asked a friend who I believe you also know, Nicole, um, Erica. I do. Yeah, uh, and I asked her about how she was talking about obviously Bamboo Willies, and when I went to Bamboo Willies when I was there, and it's still a, a great haunt. And she also mentioned um, the Garden Grain as a great one of her favourites. So uh, uh, she mentioned how good, again, like you were saying, the local community is, and it's not all about chains. It's all a very quaint family run to get great vibe where wherever you go great back to you what would be your three favorite places to go obviously except your own restaurant well you know um you know there's 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 several uh, there uh, there is a lot of talent in this town uh, as far as chefs go and you know some of my favorites some of them are, are george's restaurant um he's you know he's kind of an old school guy like me and 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 um you know so we, we see a, a lot of uh, you know great food um we see a lot of eye to eye on food trends, but I mean, you have Angelina's uh, downtown, which is one of our newer additions, Italian cuisine, very well done, great dining room. Um, and then um, I'd say, for, you know, for 
for my third, uh, I, I have to say Union Public. Um, you know, um, uh, Blake Rushing over there is a really talented uh, uh, young chef. And, you know, we just kind of hit it off over the years. And, and his food is really, really excellent, too. So those are my probably my three favorites. Uh, although, you know, it's kind of hard to limit. There's Global Grill. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of talent here. It's really, uh, it's, it's fun to be part of, I got to tell you. I mean, I could add all of those to my list. So let's do that. They are all my favorites <laughs> as well. Um, but then also you've got your fun and funky like dive bar, yes, dive yes. restaurant. So I think of places like Egg Like Eat, but it's a local staple and people go there and they know they're going to have the best grouper sandwich or they're going to enjoy just fresh oysters right from the shelter. And it's just a really cool experience. Or if you're in downtown, I think a blue dot, which is an old school barbecue hamburger joint where when he runs out of beef patties, he closes for the day. And that's just how it's done. But it's got these really great sprees that attest to why they're in Pensacola. Um, and it adds to the history and it adds to the experience that the visitor or the resident can have when they're here. Um, you really can't go wrong with the food scene. Wherever you go, you're going to have a good meal, whether you're a seafood lover, lover or a steak lover or a vegetarian. We've got it all. And that's what is really special about how much Pensacola has grown over the years. I can see there's so much love between all of the restaurants and the vibe there. But one thing I was going to ask about, is there something for everyone? So including vegan, but obviously you mentioned there is a restaurant that has something for everyone. So that is great um, diversity as well for those who uh, who travel with multiple um, food lovers, I suppose is the right word to use. Uh, yeah. And I mean, you know, 10 years ago, food trucks weren't really a thing. And now food trucks are popping up everywhere and it really allows for those chefs to show their niche, um, but to cater to those uh, individuals who like something completely different, whether it's vegan or it's pescatarian or it's your meat and potato kind of girl. Like it's just whatever it is that you love, we've got it here for you. And it's always changing and growing, which is really excited, exciting for all of us. Nicole and I were just talking, you know, before we started here about the food truck scene uh, in Pensacola is just exploding as well. And then, you know, there, um, there's talk of them coming on the beach and, you know, 10 years ago, there were you know, there wasn't a food truck heard of. And then, you know, I mean, uh, Randy is doing a great job with uh, mm-hmm. his food truck. I mean, it's, it's really, really quite impressive things going on. And before we end, um, Nicole, for our listeners that are looking to visit, how long would you recommend staying in Pensacola and really being able to experience the lovely beaches, the great food and the area surrounding it? I mean, I think Pensacola, that's the beauty of it is you can come and spend three nights. You could come and spend two weeks uh, based on what you want to do and what you want to experience. I always say the longer, the better. And I, I, you know, vacation is very important and everyone needs to take one, but really it's what you make of it. And it's an adventure on your own time and your own pace. Um, and that's the beauty of, of Pensacola is we've got a little bit of something for everyone. Um, but if you're coming together and let's say you're with your grandparents and your parents and your small children, you can break it up to make it fit for what everyone needs it to fit into. And that's just really kind of what's so special about this area is it's not just a beach vacation. It's not just museums and attractions. It's not just downtown. It's all of it. So whatever you want to do, you're able to do while you're visiting. Perfect. Well, thank you both so much for sharing your knowledge on Pensacola and especially the food scene. And I look forward to coming and visiting and trying some of your amazing cuisine soon. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. I'm joined by Nick from St. Augustine, Florida, and Norberto, owner of La Cucina, both regular grilling masters and chefs at Sunday 
Asiados in St. Augustine. So um, just a quick introduction, if we can start with um, Nick, of what you do and how long you've lived in St. Augustine. Okay, yeah, great. Um, I'm Nick Pereira, and um, I am the owner of Urban Asado. We handcraft Argentinian-style barbecue grills, uh, basically a wood-fire um, grilling setup. And uh, we've been in St. Augustine for 15 years. You know, now we've moved up from South Florida, and um, we uh, we're about a half a mile three quarters of a mile outside of downtown St. Augustine, our fabrication studio. Well, uh, I do love a Argentinian grill, so I'm really excited about learning how you guys do it over there. And Norberto, uh, how long have you lived in St. Augustine? Um, I've been in St. Augustine for 15 years. I got here in 2005. Uh, I've always been involved with uh, restaurants all my life. And I came to St. Augustine to work at La Cocina. And uh, I built my way up, my way up and, uh, until I became the owner. And I think uh, now I own uh, two restaurants here in town, and um, that's it. Oh, well, definitely you've grown into the food scene in St. Augustine. I've heard some amazing things. Um, Norberto, just obviously where you have your uh, a few restaurants you own there now, what is the food scene like in, in St. Augustine? And, and how do you think it's been influenced by um, the history of the of the area? Uh, so on my experience, the culinary uh, scene in St. Augustine, I mean, uh, to a point that, that it, it kind of uh, dictates what the town is. Um, St. Augustine has a big variety of... Uh, of restaurants, uh, chefs that have come from many places in the States and in places in the world. Uh, and the one thing in common is that we all want to use uh, as many local ingredients as possible. Uh, so you're going to be finding that out throughout the menus that you, when you come to San Agustin. Uh, there's always similarities on, on what we use just because all chefs are along that we want to use fresh fish, fresh products, and as many things uh, from the area. That's amazing that you're, you know, there's a big culture of using local farms and, and local produce to really help drive the, the link between farmers and what's on the plates for, for visitors. Is there a big diversity of food? So if people are coming in, the listeners, whether it be vegetarians, vegans, or really want to experience that Argentinian meat and, and, um, and grill, is there something for everyone? Definitely, definitely. There's uh, definitely something for everyone. Uh, there are restaurants that are just focused on seafood. Uh, there's ethnic uh, restaurants. In my case, uh, we and my family, we own a Mexican restaurant, a Colombian restaurant, and what we call La Cocina International, where we try to bring flavors from all over the place uh, in, in, a, in a fine dining environment, but giving it that uh, Latin flavor to it. Uh, we have an amazing Peruvian restaurant. We still have the the old style Irish pubs with the, with the food itself. Uh, so definitely uh, for everyone, we have great vegetarian places in town, uh, as well as we have uh, now Michael's with the greatest steakhouse. So so there's definitely something for everyone, uh, without a doubt. And and on that, you mentioned seafood earlier. I imagine that the the fresh seafood is year round and absolutely stunning. Is, is there a local seafood delicacy? Like, is, there, is there a fish that's renowned within the area? It changes throughout the season. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, we're pretty lucky with that. One thing that's kind of cool about our fabrication studio is um, literally like right now, about 50 feet away from the shrimp and the fish boats where they bring in the fe- uh, fresh catch. There's a fish house uh, where they process right over here by our fabrication studio. So um, we have a pretty good little setup over here. Uh, 
I can imagine. I can imagine it right on the waterfront as well. You must have some beautiful seafood coming in. And Nick, you mentioned the. I'm probably going to mispronounce this again. So apologies, <laughs> and you can correct me. The uh, Asiedo Life, and obviously you, you guy, you manufacture um, the the Argentinian grills. That is, this is all around. So can you just give us a bit more information about that? Sure. Um, yeah, we uh, we refer to you know Asado Life. Asado is uh, Spanish for barbecue. And, um, you know, we kind of tied it in, you know, with our grill company, Urban Asado. And basically, those who know of an asado, whether in Argentina or elsewhere throughout South America, Central America, it's um, the, you know, basically things kind of uh, shut down. You know, you're, you're not on your phone. You're basically gathering with family and friends. And you're part of this. You're actually, like, you know, connecting with family and friends. And, you know, it's just a bigger, bigger event than just having food. And so we wanted to sort of kind of build on that here. And so that's what we do, you know, with Asado Life is we basically were those who were not familiar with an Asado in general or the grills that I make, we kind of wanted to just demonstrate it and show that, you know, we're going to be, you know, for example, when we would do our Sunday Asado, uh, you know, we, it was very much community oriented, you know, um, we bring in three, four or five local chefs and we would all be grilling simultaneously and have various uh, items coming off the grills incrementally over a three hour period of time. So it gave people a chance to interact, make new friends, try some new cuisine and basically kind of get um, a preview into a restaurant, a chef in a restaurant that they might not have known about because for St. Augustine being kind of a small town, there's actually a lot going on in the culinary scene. And the other cool uh, component of that is the chefs that I've met over these years doing this, they work really, really well together. You know, so if you're on the outside looking in, you would think they're all competitors and that that's it. They actually, they share ideas, they share recipes, they help recipe build and menu plan. And so we kind of wanted to really show what goes on in the kitchen that everybody else can't normally see. And you would see that at the Asado. So the guests would be treated to a, a really cool show because they could kind of see the inner workings of it. And so we, it was a really important focus for us to be able to demonstrate the um, the different facets of a of a restaurant, not just you know not just cooking. There's so much more that goes into it: sourcing ingredients, you know, the the thoughtfulness, the passion that goes into that. So uh, so Sado Life is you know we've had the farmers here, obviously the chefs. We've had some of their uh, suppliers you know coming in where they're able to then source you know ingredients that the chefs want to showcase and focus on. So it really turned out to be a, uh, a multi-level effort to put these things together. And and on that, it's an amazing collaboration of everyone within the St. Augustine food scene. Uh, how do people find out about these experiences and how can they, do they have to book in advance to get in there? Is it more of a, you know, people can turn up? And, and and then just go from grill to grill and try and, and sample different food. So the um, the Sunday asada, which everything we kind of suspended everything as we're working our way through this pandemic. Um, but basically, the Sunday asados uh, we would announce a few weeks in advance. We're one Sunday a month. We would announce the chefs that would be joining us. Um, and basically, you know, the, the time was always the same one to four and, uh, we would uh, sell tickets in advance and, and that was that, um, from there, it you know, got really popular and to where some of the chefs would be doing like pop-up dinners here, um, the same sort of style, only, you know, maybe 30 people as opposed to 80 people. And, um, and kind of the same deal, you know, let, you know, we would make an announcement, the guests would say, okay, yeah, you know, they could buy the tickets and join in. And then we even started during the pandemic doing um, 
virtual asados, where we would put a list of ingredients together so that people throughout the country or throughout the world, if they wanted to kind of grill along or even watch how, you know, Norberto's done them with me, Marcel, Michael, where we could show our, you know, tips and tricks. And then, you know, people at home could, you know, watch and then grill later on or grill along with us with whatever it was. So just more about like trying to promote the idea of there's um, to slow things down a little bit and really take that moment to try to connect with your friends and family and, you know, uh, try something a little different, you know, things like that. I, I love I love you've done it virtually so people from around the world can really learn from the masters like Norberto and and then also like I said reconnect with family because a lot of people are doing that at the moment you know whether it be virtual or getting together now from a a social distance wherever you are in the world um so Norberto on that what would be one of your favorite things that you've ever cooked at one of these events uh lamb probably the whole lamb was awesome Uh, and that's the thing we get to do uh, a whole animal uh at uh, Nick's uh uh, grills and that's not something most people are familiar with so when we get to do that and, and it's not just like you were saying uh it's not just a barbecue it's, it's the whole process of getting everything together or getting the fire going and then we're talking about hours uh that you're just concentrating on what you're doing and sharing that time uh and the customers will become because they'll come in and they'll see a whole animal you know on the grill it's not something you see every day uh and then they spend time with us finishing that product and then tasting it uh was that was an awesome awesome experience so just to be able to do that was, was yeah. Those are um, you know my answer. If you were to ask me what my favorite thing is that he's grilled, it's basically it's always the next thing because everything he's grilled over here has been. Um, he's done some amazing stuff, and uh, but you know part of the to kind of like touch on the process what makes it sort of like a show is you know our grills we're actually burning logs like in a bracero in a, in a fire basket, and you produce the embers. You know from the embers are falling off the, the burning wood. So from the moment guests would arrive and they'd start to see, and they would see a fire right next to the food and they're watching this process. It literally is like, you just kind of were um, transported to like a campfire. And so you have the sights, the sounds, the aromas of that fire going. So you just know it's different before you even know what's being grilled. You know that there's something different. And so then when you see the chefs with the magic that they're creating on the grill, it just takes it to another level. Oh, it sounds, it sounds amazing. And I mean, in person, I can imagine it's even more of a great experience, especially for people looking to visit, um, whether they be locals living in Florida or uh, those who might be visiting, they can always check out um, to see whether or not it is a Sunday once of the things calm down a little bit with what's going on. How would people find out about this when the Sunday is? So do you have a website where you um, push this out? So if you've got international travelers coming in, they could potentially plan to come around and buy the, buy the tickets. And ask, uh, Annette, are you also doing any more virtual um, events that, again, people from around the world that are listening could potentially participate in if you are doing them? Sure, yeah. Um, the So the first part of that is uh, you can go to our website, urbanasado.com. And you know, scroll towards the bottom. You know, there's a uh, there's an email sign up uh, that we we send out emails for anything asado related, like um, but only the events that we do. We don't we don't send out uh, product emails. Um, and then they could also follow us either on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Um, but we do send out um, both for our Sunday asado if we do a chef's pop up asado or our virtual asado. We send out an email 
to the email list first. And, um, and we notify everybody of when and where and when, where and what. Um, and then um, from there, they can go ahead and plan accordingly. Perfect. Well, make sure you do go to the website and find that and make sure you register. So if you are visiting St. Augustine, you can see if you are available to make one of the live Asiados or if you're around the world at the moment, you can sign up to see if there's any virtual events coming soon. And um, I was looking at the website earlier and um, I just want to know, do you ship internationally? Because once I get a place with a garden i will be ordering one um so I just right. to- yes. yes we do and that would be cool yes we uh we do ship uh throughout and um we've had some we've had some fun international orders uh because uh um, very more well we have some fun national orders too but some of ours uh, we just shipped a really cool one to uh spain um just before the pandemic um so yes we'll ship anywhere Perfect. and and norberto for those who look coming into town and you know want to really um come meet and eat, eat in some of your restaurants um where, where would they be able to find out um when and, and do they again do they have to book in advance or is it and not just your restaurants but other restaurants um, can people generically turn awesome. up uh, uh i mean uh, la cuisine international reservations are are not required but they are recommended we do sell out on the weekends mainly uh for my colombian restaurant is very casual uh again people can always make a reservation but uh but it's, it's really just uh it's just a walking situation um i definitely recommend somebody's coming out of town look at the menu see what they're looking forward to to, to try and try as many things as possible uh, and not just at my restaurant but in San Agustin I mean we have over 500 restaurants in such a uh, small town so there's a lot to try um, I mean I we always give people advices and where to eat in our, in our favorite places uh, not just ours I think that that's the good thing in San Agustin you'll be finding out uh, all the, I mean I, I refer many other restaurants just because I know they're just as good as we are or even better uh, so so like Nick was saying earlier uh, at least that, that's the charm of the culinary scene in San Agustin instead of competing uh, we're helping out and admiring what, what the person next to you is doing and, and and just wanting to be better uh, as a group. So yeah, that's, um, that's amazing. That is such a friendly rivalry in a way. Not well, not a rivalry, but you spur each other on to to constantly do better and produce some amazing food and restaurants in in the area. So I just want to say a massive thank you to both for joining me. I know um, it's the afternoon there. And there might be a storm rolling in. Um, so, so I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time out, um, Nick and Norberto. So I'll definitely, next time I'm out in Florida, I'll be coming to see you guys. Sounds great. So I'm joined by um, Richard, who I've heard described as the godfather of a Tampa Bay and the restaurant industry out in Florida. And we're super excited to have you on, on the interview today. And you could leave uh, listening to this very, very hungry as we're going to be talking about food in Florida. And Richard, we're going to ask you to talk about your story in particular and the fact that you own Florida's oldest restaurant, I believe. Is that right? That's correct. So. Um, Obviously, travel is one of the most exciting topics in the world, and um, I love travel, but I think the second most exciting topic has got to be food. We all love a fantastic meal, and your restaurants are considered the best places to go and eat, uh, definitely in Florida, if not the world. So quick bit of history, and I say quick bit of history, having read the history of your your family business, there's a lot of history there. So tell us a little bit about uh, you and uh, your restaurants, if that's okay. Well, I'm the fourth generation caretaker of this family business, started by my great grandfather when he immigrated with four young sons from Cuba to the rich history of Ybor City, the cigar industry, cigar capital of the world. And so on December 17, we found out 
The Columbia Saloon opened in 1903. The same day the Wright brothers took flight, all 12 seconds. And here we are today, still using the same recipe for our garbanzo bean soup that we've been using. But he built it as a corner cafe with 60 seats, open 24 hours a day as the workers walked to work and back home. And through the difficult times that we faced, we, our families always overcome and had the courage to, um, in some cases, enlarge. Where the restaurant today is uh, a whole city block, 15 dining rooms. This sounds like a factory, but it's not, with over 1,700 seats. Our kitchen is about, will be 8,000 square feet by the end of the year. The largest kitchen and larger than in most restaurants. Every item is, is a made to order. You know, we go back to our roots from Spain and we import a container. Our rice comes from Murcia. We talk of travel. When we travel, we, we, we capture history. We learn so much. And I had to bring the flavor where my ancestors originally came from, which was from Spain, from Asturias. So we import our, our rice from Murcia. We import our olive oil from Jaén district of Andalusia. We import our vinegar, 10 years old, from Rioja. So it's it's so important to me to bring back the old world into the new world and preserve that which is today Florida's oldest restaurant. So it's, it's the oldest. It sounds like it's got to be one of the biggest. How do you keep people coming back? I mean, that's a fantastic um, history to the business, but there's got to be something special that keeps people coming back time and time again. This is our passion. This is what we live for. I can tell you the day when I was three and a half years old, and I walked into the cooler with the whole fish, and I ran out screaming, and our chef, Sarapico, is laughing at me. My grandfather says, ¿Qué te pasó, muchacho? What's wrong with you, kid? I told him the fish scared me. They were going to bite me. And he told me to go in. He taught me how to tell if the fish were fresh. You look in the eyes for the clarity, and the ghost should be moist and dark red. And you touch the flesh, it should be firm to touch. And I would go to dinner on Fridays with my grandma, my mother. He said, every Friday, I want you to go and tell me if the fish are fresh. He told me we we're only as good as our last meal. So over the 115 years, as what happens, people start taking shortcuts. And we start going to prepared items. What I realized 25 years ago, I had to go back to the way we did things in the old days, knowing who our vendors were, who our farmers were, who our ranchers were. I only uh, select products. My shrimp are caught by Carson Kimbrough out of Bon Secre, Alabama, in the Gulf of Mexico. And when we were in, in this coronavirus, he was checking on me. He says, don't worry, we'll keep you supplied. My, my, my pork comes from a family, the Compart family, Jim Compart, five generations, and they checked on us. Our beef comes from uh, Greeley, Colorado, um, Mr. Halpern. And so our chicken comes from Alabama and Georgia, all family owned. The same family have been supplying me dairy in Tampa for 112 years. The same family have been making my Cuban bread 105 years. Where do you find that? When you dine at one of our restaurants, you're not just dining, you're experiencing history, continuing, remembered the way it was, and even better because everything is natural and we know where every product's been through. So you, you use the word experience there. I'm guessing arriving in one of your restaurants is an experience. The whole dining experience has got to be something special. Well, we tell people when you walk in the front door of the Columbia restaurant, if you go in one room, you've entered into Cuba, old Cuba. And when you walk into another room, the first dining room that was air conditioned with conditioned air in 1935, you walked into an elegant Spanish restaurant. And with the Andalusia, with a balcony in the skylight and the palm trees growing in the patio dining room, you won't feel like you're you're anywhere in, in, in Florida. And if you're visiting here to go in there, you're, you're, you're capturing that flavor. And I can show you where... Uh, 
all these different celebrities sat down, the historical uh, individuals that made the, the history of Ybor City colorful, and I'll leave it like that, or the movie stars, where Marilyn Monroe came with baseball player great Joe DiMaggio. So it, it's coming in there and in this restaurant where staff have been with us, many of them for well over 20 years. We had a piano player played 64 years with us. Our longest-term wow. manager right now is 58 years. He started when he was 15. So it's family. It's not a chain. Do you want to go to a chain where nobody cares? When you go in where everybody's proud. During this pandemic, what we did, we had 1,400 people within all of our 13 restaurants. We realized there were challenges in, at home. We provided uh, what was equivalent of four meals per family. We were feeding 9,000 meals a week. So we take care of our family because we want them to take care of you when you visit one of our restaurants. So 13 restaurants, you said? Yes. So we, uh, the original is in Tampa. And then we have a restaurant. We're the oldest restaurant in Sarasota on St. Armand's Key, one block away from Lido Key Beach, built 1959. There wasn't much there. My grandfather and father were visionaries. And it's the most beautiful beaches in Florida. If you come to Florida, you want to go to uh, the, the beaches of Lido Beach or St. Armand or, or, or Longboat Key, Clearwater Beach, St. Petersburg Beach, where the water is blue and it's warm and the beach is white. So obviously you must have seen um, the, the Tampa as a whole evolve over the years. How's the food and culinary sort of experiences evolved over that time? You know, what happens in our industry often in the United States is uh, families uh, grow older and the next generation doesn't want to take over. They maybe gotten a degree and they want to be an attorney. They have this or they haven't changed with the trends. And we've had to change over the trends. In my generation, we had to go back to fresh vegetables instead of the canned vegetables, which were a luxury item in the 40s and 50s. So we had to go back to the way we did things in the beginning from scratch. Our Cuban sandwich. You've heard of the Cuban sandwich. And Miami claims to have the original Cuban sandwich. They don't have a Cuban restaurant that's been there 100 years. And my grandfather would tell me when I asked him, he said, well, every sandwich in Cuba is a Cuban sandwich. In our old menus, it was called a mixto, M-I-X-T-O, mixto, the mix. But what it did was it represented the people that immigrated to Ybor City. When you come to this village of Ybor City, that's only two miles from downtown, you'll learn the history of the Spanish that immigrated from Asturias and Galicia, of the Cubans and the Sicilians that came here, along with the German Jews and Russians. And that sandwich represents that, the ham from the Spanish, the pork from the Cubans, the salami from the Sicilians, and the mustard and pickles from the, the, the Jews. You talk about a time where people work together, they live together, they celebrate life together. That sandwich embodies what Ybor City is. That one, where diversity is included, and we really make a difference. So the, the Cuban sandwich was made for one quite famous in Miami Vice, the film um, and the series. So is that um, the same in Miami as it is in Tampa? No, they don't put salami. They have a different bread. The bread's the key. It's the water. Um, we, I laugh all the time and they say, there's no such thing as a salami in a Cuban sandwich. Well, that's the way we've been doing it here 115 years before Miami had any Cubans, before Miami was probably a city. So um, they have their sandwich, we have ours. I bet you if you try them side by side, you'll say that Tampa sandwich is right because it's the way you layer it, thinly sliced ham. Then it's the pork on top, the salami, the emmental cheese, the mustard, the pickle on top, and the mustard meat be on the top. When you bite that sandwich, it hits your flavor and taste buds a certain way. And I was in one of our restaurants one time. I said, you made the sandwich upside down. I said, what do you mean you made the sandwich upside down? You had the mustard on the bottom. But those little details, what's important to me, 
This is, I'm passionate about what I do. And, and when I retire, I know my daughter will continue because she started working in the restaurant when she was 10. And she's learned to cook and she was the first female to work in our kitchen. Amazing. So obviously the Cuban sandwich is unique to, to, to Tampa. Tampa is unique itself. Your restaurants are unique. What, what do you think makes Tampa uh, so unique and the best place to travel to? Well, Tampa back in the 1890s, you had uh, the trains coming in here and they were bringing in um, Henry Plant, built a hotel in 1890. It was like $100 way back then. But the trains came in, though, to uh, bring product, but it also would bring in the tobacco. The tobacco was coming by the ships into the port. So the port of Tampa is so important. The trains came in, bringing residents, and the city developed around the cigar industry. And so you have a history where so many people, I ask everyone if they're from the area. My wife says I'm being nosy. If you're a native, our families know one another, guaranteed. It might even be related. Amazing. And so anyone visiting Tampa for the first time, they're going to come to your restaurants, but what else might you suggest they do? You know, when you come along, the, you want to enjoy the Riverwalk, which was once abandoned. And I had a vision, and I promised my father, we have a restaurant at the Tampa Bay History Center. In 1987, he made me promise him that they, if they ever – built the museum that had to be involved, that history was so important for all of us to learn. So when you go in there to visit that, we have a Columbia Cafe with a replica of our bar, but to learn the history about the pirates that lived in the area. Learn about Juan Ortiz, a 17-year-old Spanish sailor that was in, a, in an exhibition. Ex, 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 oh I'm twisting out my words, <laughs> but they were coming to us to experience the area. And they were captured by the Tokavaga tribe. And a young Indian princess named Eulalie stopped her father, the chief of Herodouga, from burning the young man. So we created a restaurant called Eulalie, telling the story with a beautiful 12-foot bronze of this woman that had the courage to stand up to her father. It's along the river, and you can walk along there. You see the artifacts and all the artwork and bronze of those that made Tampa what it is today. You have Bush Gardens with the, the rides and the gardens and so forth. We have a great university, University of South Florida, and a world-class um, Moffitt Cancer Center that I've been on the board 21 years. There's so much to do. You're 30 minutes away from the beaches. You're about an hour away from Disney World. When you're in Tampa, it's all real. It's not make-believe. And you drive around, you see the bays, and you, you, you go over the Sunshine Skyway, where you'll see the cruise ships leaving once they start sailing again. Tampa's been a favorite port of call. When we opened up the ports to Cuba again, it was the closer to, to Tampa, Havana, than, than Miami was. There used to be a ferry in 1959, 58, excuse me. I was a little boy, five years old, and we caught a ferry and took our car to Cuba. So I have that memory. So I look forward to the day that we are able to travel back to Cuba, experience that with my grandchildren. But there's so much to do here. It's a, it's a, it, we, we're a wonderful business community, but we welcome our visitors with open arms. And how important do you, do you feel the culinary sort of side of tourism is to Tampa these days? Well, you know, we have a young, young, um, new culinary chefs coming on board. They're facing challenges right now. And I worry about them, but they're in some cases are modernizing some of the food. But we're, we're, we are staying current with the trends and We've gone back to the old recipes, the way things are done. You have a wonderful restaurant, Ferro Alvarez, with a rooster in the till. You have a young chef named Chris Pont, who's a talented that opened a restaurant named Olivia. There's so much going on here. You have that youth, you have the the, the historical. 
So we have a mixture of the both. We I bought a, a hamburger concept that started in 1925 in Goody Goody. When they were closing, I told the owner I wanted to buy. He says, he laughed at me. What do you want to buy? Well, 10 years later, he sold it to me. Why was it important to me? Because if you go into City Hall, there's a painting of what Tampa was. And the only two restaurants on that painting are the Columbia Restaurant and Goody Goody. I believe in preserving that history so you can go back. When you walk into that, that restaurant, you feel like you step back into 1925, 1930, the way the burgers were done. Food the way it should be done, fresh and from suppliers that we know are supplying us the best. Um, to me, it's all about authenticity. Tampa's real. I'm not going to talk bad about it in other cities, but uh, I, I can't imagine living anywhere else. I love to travel as well. And I always tell people in my travels where I, I get inspired, where I get new ideas to bring those flavors. And I'm out in the UK, Scotland, Ireland, going there. And I'm building a new restaurant, a Sicilian restaurant. And the idea came from a visit out in Dublin, Ireland at a restaurant there, a kitchen design. And so what we want to do is when you walk into this restaurant, I had the whole kitchen design and uh, my team had done it. And I fired the guy. I started all over. I didn't. I wanted you to walk into the Nana's home. I went to Sicily over five years, making relationships where we're the backsplash of the with uh, we saute and the tables where where you'll be chopping the vegetables and so forth. We're all out of ceramic, volcanic rock, hand painted. It's right in the dining room. We're using solid fuel, wild cherry, Florida wood for our grill and our, our cooking. Now, to me, it's uh, it's taking people back to the way things were done in the old days. Every little detail is an important detail. Sometimes people say, well, what does it matter? But when you do business in, in Europe, I've learned that short term to me is anything under 10 years. In the U.S., often we want immediate return. I realize you have to invest to make it an experience, again, experience. When you walk into that restaurant, Casa Santo Stefano, named after the village in Sicily, where 60% of the Italians immigrated from to Ybor City came from. It comes from visiting my best friend, whose family has been selling me that dairy for 112 years and from eating at his house. So when you go into that restaurant, it's going to be as authentic as anything you'll have in Sicily. We visited with a family that in that little village, five generations. They don't sell the cheese in the U.S. I went to visit them five years ago. And two years ago, I had to go meet the current operator's father, who's 87. He wanted to look me in the eyes. He said, my grandfather says, look, who are you going to do business with in the eyes? Are they telling you the truth? Is there a handshake firm when you can trust? I said, that's what my grandfather told me. So we're the first company in the United States bringing in that, that cheese. I'm bringing in a, a pasta from Sicily. When I went to the village that's named for the restaurant, named after the, re the restaurant's named after. I talked to the mayor about fresh pasta. He says, fresh pasta? Who uses fresh pasta? So we're bringing in a, a, a ready-made dry pasta from there as well as making a fresh pasta. I'm bringing in my salt from Trapani, Sicily. So what we do here is we have to bring the old world back in to the new world. The recipes were adapted uh, adopt by, by the foods they found here. To me, food is uh, is living in its life. It's celebrating all life has to ha have. When you come into this restaurant, you can sit at the family table, a hand-painted table from the volcanic rock under a large chandelier. And the candelabra was, in the the uh, Lazy Susan was just delivered last Friday. So you could have your appetizers going around and around. I've never I mean, seen a restaurant like that. I have to say, travel is about experiences and Food is an experience, and you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you just went to a you know mass-produced food outlet. You know, you you spend a lot of time eating, you need to enjoy it, and it just shows the you know the detail that you're talking about there shows that people care, and you, it's about creating memories, isn't it? And you know that whole experience of eating and enjoying your surroundings, the people, the the ingredients, just creates memories. What it takes is a long investment. My, my chef is from uh, Italy. 
he's been on board three and a half years just working on this project. Wow. So, I mean, I've been running payrolls and, and testing once a week. I mean, it's a fun part. I love the excitement of building something that will be different. And when he looks at it, he's sending pictures back to his father of what the kitchen looks like with that, that the hammered uh, copper um, exhaust fans over across this this display. The 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 bar top is all hand painted tile. You'll be seeing the pastas made in the back with looking through a window. A photo I took of the village of Santo Stefano, blown up 16 foot window. It looks like you're looking into that village. When you go to our restaurants, you're traveling through the taste of the food. And when I travel. I'd love to go to that, which is a local inspired restaurant. I like to go to the long running restaurants. I like to go to those new restaurants. I like to experience that flavor, which tells me about that family. When you visit the Columbia restaurant, you visit Yuleli, Casa Santo Stefano, goody goody. You're tasting history of Tampa. And you, like you say, you want to go to the restaurants where the locals eat, and this is absolutely where the locals are eating. That's the goal. 25 years ago, I would have taken care of my local guests. Visitors want to go where the locals were. There was a time that we had lost that because Ybor City, Ybor City had been demise, urban renewal, which is a government support, took all the people out and moved them to the suburbs. All the factories closed, all the businesses closed. We were the last one standing. But, you know, you want I want to go where the locals go. When you come to the restaurant, if you see me there, I may be dressed in blue jeans, my, my palm tree shirt on, but I'll be talking to everybody. And people say, who's that guy? And they say, he's the owner. I say, he can't be the owner. He looks like a tourist. <laughs> But, you know, I'm just like anybody else. I'm no better than, uh, than those that work for me and that visit me. I like to know all my dishwashers, the most important person in my restaurant. That's the job that I love the most when I started at 12 years old. Responsible for sanitation of every eating utensil. If you saw what we built during the shutdown, this is a case study that the dean of USF uh, Business School said they would have to write. I said, what if I fail or if I succeed? The kitchen with the state-of-the-art dishwashing system, water purification system, and a machine just to wash our glasses is the size of a typical restaurant kitchen. But to me, it's the most important thing that the way we clean our, our, our product are spotless, sanitized. It's like the biggest deal to me. The things that I invested the most money in that you'll never see unless you, I invite people to come back to see our kitchen. I wow. want you to come back. I want you to come over at Saturday night at eight o'clock in the evening when it's busy, when the restaurant's as busy as can be and see the organization that everything is made to order. And I love to auction off four times a year, dinner for 10 in the kitchen. So well, we won't come on a Saturday. I said, come any night you are one because I'm that proud of what we do. And when you walk in there, you feel that you're really, truly in somewhere special, that we do care. We care about the people. We care about our guests. And that makes me want to come to your restaurant just hearing you say that because you don't get that from every restaurant. That's, that is something special. You know, when you see me walking around, I'm, I'm not necessarily greeting the guests. I'm greeting all my servers. You know, Jose, who's busboy, has been with me 31 years. We're talking about back home. You know, it's that's what to me is knowing all of them, asking about their family. When they're happy, you'll be happy because they're, 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 they, they look forward to coming there. When my staff tell me they feel nowhere safer than at work, it makes me feel very emotional. Now, I like to know about their families and, and their challenges. We all face challenges. So I'm a different type of restaurateur, and I uh, I don't look for price. I look for quality. And we've had discussions with the next generation that when I found this family that did this wonderful port, they said, well, it's much more money per pound. I said, so? But, but it'll cost us much. I said, let's, let's cook it. Let's try it. And I said, get the, 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 the weight on it wrong. Then get the cooked weight. 
Well, the one that's less money was full of water. That water was very expensive. But the product with the, the marbling inside, the best pork chop, 21-day dry-aged pork chop. I've never had that in the United States. It is just magnificent, the marbling on it. So it's not just a, a, a typical run-of-the-mill uh, pork chop. It's a family that have been doing it for many years. So it's about... And when I was going through that, what another generation said, he could save the company $100,000 a year if he went to a Fuzza Mahi Mahi. So it wasn't that much different. I said, well, that not much that different. It makes a big deal. I said, let's do a cutting. Let's taste it. So we do a tasting one day, two pieces of fish before me. I said, they're both frozen. Well, you haven't tasted them. I said, but they're both frozen. Well, how can you tell? Well, if you're a professional, you would know. And so I tasted them. I said, well, they're both frozen. Well, how can you tell? Well, you taste them. So we'd come out. I said, bring out the fresh fish. And before I'm tasting, I'll tell them which one's fresh. And again, being questioned, we have to taste them. And when he tells me, well, it's a little better. In this world, the restaurant world, you better be a little better than your competition than be a little worse. That $100,000 he thinks he's going to save could be a $250,000 loss in business. And that experience, when you have that mahi-mahi, Caillou West, which is named after Key West and the lime juice and pickled onions, when you have that, you'll go back home, say, God, I had the best mahi-mahi. So you've got um, 13 restaurants. I'm hungry just at the thought of uh, just listening to you talk about food, but I can't visit all 13. Um, it's a bit like asking you to name your favorite child, I guess, but where where should I start if I'm visiting Tampa for the first time? I grew up at the Columbia Restaurant in Ybor City. My office is across the street. My office views the front parking lot and the back door. I can see what's happening in the back door, our deliveries. I can see our guests coming and leaving. I can walk there and I can come in through the back door really quickly with a mask now. They even identify me. And what I kind of got to chuckle out of that I heard the walkie-talkies going through, the hurricane's here, the hurricane's here. Because I went, I go through as fast as I can and inspect every detail. It's where I grew up. Amazing. It's, it's, it's 115 years. When you go through, you walk, it's like a Spanish palace. We have a chandelier from 1890 that my father bought in an auction. Beautiful French piece that just graces there. We have the, the tile from the Chicago World's Fair that the government of Spain put on display winning a blue ribbon of Don Quixote fighting the windmill. And the Minister of Tourism upon the end of the Chicago World's Fair gifted it to my grandfather. You see that. You see the vase from a gift from the president of the Cuban Senate, 1948. I mean, that's uh, to me, if you see me, ask for me. I love to take you around. I like to show you where Babe Ruth, the baseball player, got thrown out of Columbia in 1929 because of prohibition and the search warrant that was caused by his being drunk at the restaurant. I love the history. I love the history of how we roasted coffee from 1926 to the 80s, my great uncle. And I roasted coffee for 15 years. Coffee's a big deal, the end of the meal. So, And we work with a family now that have uh, been roasting coffee since 1921. I mean, it's all about those relationships. I could tell you where our, our coffee's roasted, where the beans are from, the same form that we've been using. I could tell you where our pork's from, our beef is from, our fish, our chicken. I asked you to ask for another restaurateur if they could do the same. If they have a Jim Strickland who's a rancher here in Florida, five generations that we've worked with, that's a big deal to me. It's the relationships. I, I'm absolutely sold. I want to come to the restaurant, not even just to, eat, to just to experience um, everything you've said. So I'm, I'm sold. I'm absolutely convinced everyone else will be as well. If anyone would like more details about your restaurants, where can they go? www.columbiarestaurant.com will take you to the Columbia restaurant. 
I'm trying to, uh, or, or check us out on Facebook, Columbia Restaurant, or Ulele, which is U-L-E-L-E.com, or Goody Goody Burgers. Casa Santo Stefano, when you come to Tampa, after we get past this, this virus, you have to visit it. There'll be a lot of people queuing up, I'm sure. It sounds absolutely fantastic. And if you've got one recommendation for once people have left your restaurant, one other thing for them to do, what would it be? If you go to the restaurant? You can... one, once they've been to the restaurant. So they've done that. That's the highlight of the trip. What's next? One one thing to do while in Tampa. You want to walk down the street of Ybor City, go visit the cigar factory of Cuesta Rey, the oldest family um, cigar factory left in Ybor City. They're investing a million dollars in doing a tourist exhibit. Although most of the cigars are done in Dominican Republic, they have a great display. Visit and see how they did it. See the history. See the towers on the cigar where they could see the ship sailing in two miles away, where they where they would have a person that would read to the workers who were educated. There was no TV, but they were well-educated by learning the history of what's happening. See what made Tampa great, the cigar industry. Arturo Fuente, their, their corporate headquarters are in an old cigar factory that they roll cigars two blocks away from us. I mean, and you go to Carlos Fuente, He's, his favorite restaurant in the world is the Columbia restaurant. He made one of his rolling rooms like one of our dining rooms. What a compliment. Witness that, what brought my family from Spain and from Cuba. Ybor City, it's the real deal. Amazing. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Richard. It's been amazing. Thank you for having me. I look forward to seeing you soon. There we go. I told you your taste buds would be watering after that and you'd be left hungry. How amazing was that? And Food plays such an important part of our sort of our travels these days. We want to to enjoy our food and travel around to find the best tastes. But who knew Florida had so much to offer in the way of food? Far more than just theme parks and great family holidays. You can travel all over Florida, learning about different foods, taking in all the flavors, and enjoying yourself. So when you're thinking of Florida, do plan an itinerary to take in as much of those culinary delights as possible. You can check out more episodes of our Florida uh, experience on our website or go on to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Also leave us a lovely five-star review. Tell us how great the episodes are. We love your feedback. You can also email us from our website as well. And uh, do check out more episodes of the Travel Podcast to learn about your favorite destinations. Thanks for joining us and we look forward to hearing you or seeing you on another episode very soon. Bye.